Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Alas, poor Yorick. I knew him, Horatio. A fellow of infinite jest, of most excellent fancy. He hath borne me on his back a thousand times. And now, how abhorred in my imagination it is. My gorge rises at it. Here hung those lips that I have kissed I know not how oft. Where be your jibes now? Your gambols, your songs, your... Flashes of merriment the poor one to set the table on a roar. Not one now to mock your own grinning. Quite chop fallen. Now get you to my lady's chamber. Tell her let her paint an inch thick. To this favor she must come. Make her laugh at that. Pretty Orisha, tell me one thing. What's that, my lord? Dost thou think Alexander looked at this fashion of the earth? In so. And smelt so? In so, my lord. To what base uses we may return, Horatio? I may not imagination trace the noble dust of Alexander till I find it stopping a bunghole. To consider too curiously to consider so. No, faith, not a jot, but to follow him thither with modesty enough and likelihood to lead it as thus. Alexander died, Alexander was buried, Alexander returneth to dust, the dust is earth. Of earth we make loam, and why of that loam, whereto he was converted, might they not stop a beer barrel? Imperious Caesar, dead and turned to clay, might stop a hole to keep the wind away. That that earth which kept the world in awe, should patch a wall to expel the winter's floor. So there, well, Hamlet, before we get back into the seriousness of Hamlet, I feel I need to explain, if you're new to Grace, uh, every year for 25 years, uh, my family gives me the most obnoxious, ugly tie in the city of Austin and sometimes in the United States of America. So that's what this is. It makes it very hard for you to hear anything I say, and so I'm trying to draw it to your attention so that it will no longer be drawn to your attention. It is ugly. My wife is not even here to witness it. She has run off with another man, James Taylor, and if I catch that man, I'll listen to his music. Uh, But each year, depending upon the obnoxious level of the tie, I'd warn my children because I say, listen, you are smarter than me, but I know more. And this is what you get if you mess with me. Here, family photos from your past. <laughs> See? Yeah. Not so happy now, are you, kids? No? No. Okay, let's get back to the lesson at hand, please. We're looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And uh, after studying it extensively this week and, and just listening to it over and over again, I just couldn't help but think, especially last week when we talked, uh, we're... Uh, 
Solomon is saying, you know, uh, from dust we came, from dust we shall return. And I, I couldn't help but think of the Hamlet scene at the graveyard that we are nothing more than dust, right? So he says, so, he's, so he says to uh, Warwick, uh, um, or Horatio rather, he says, could it be that, that Alexander the Great could look like this and smell like this? Yes, it is. Could it be that Alexander is plugging a hole in a beer barrel? He says, Horatio says, you think too much. Now, follow the logic. Alexander lived. Alexander died. Alexander was buried. He turned to dust. The dust turned to dirt. We use the dirt to make clay, and we use clay to plug beer barrels. Ah, this noble dust that plugs a barrel. And then he, he won't stop himself. The great emperor Caesar, dead and turned to clay, might a plug a hole to keep the wind away. Oh, to think that same body that ruled the world could now patch a wall. There's some deep thinking in Shakespeare because Shakespeare is quoting Solomon. We are so fragile. Human beings are in this place where we're stuck we are stuck. We, have, we, we are alone in the universe, as Pascal says. He said, man is like no other thing. He's, he's like a reed. The universe need not put up a big fight to extinguish all of mankind. A simple germ would do. But man distances himself from all other creation because while he is a reed, he is a thinking reed. And he knows and contemplates his death. That's what makes us different. We are part heaven and part earth. We have a foot in the eternal and a foot buried in the temporal. <laughs> it's hard to live that way. We are so much like dirt and we are so much like angels. As a matter of fact, in, in Genesis chapter 1, when God is making Adam, okay, he forms from the earth man and breathes into his nostrils Earth in Hebrew, if it were spelled in English, would be A D A M, Adam A H, Adama. And so Adam is named Earth. So, and that's why, that's why his name is, but he breathed into his nostrils, gave him spirit in the image of God. So Adam's walking around the Garden of Eden and, and says, Hello, hello, God. And God says, Hello, dirt. Because that's, that's his name means dirt, it means Earth. Remember where you're from, but you're more than just that. Mankind is stuck in that. We're part earth and we are part spirit. Now, here's the problem. Our, the earth part of us longs to be comfortable and pacified and protected at the expense of life, at the expense of our spirit, at the expense of our soul. And our soul can never be satisfied with dirt things. But we keep trying to satisfy, but man is not contented in that, like, like no other created thing, not, not any other even mammal. They can be satisfied by the temporal things. Once they're comfortable and they're protected, they're well. Mankind gets comfortable and protected and says, there's got to be more. Something's missing. And in this case, in chapter 5 of Solomon, here's, I just kept listening to it over and over again, and I picture him like at a piano bar. He's just leaning on this table, and they're like, this pretend the whole auditorium is, 
is a, a hotel lobby or a hotel banquet hall, and he's just watching newly minted MBAs and law school graduates as they're in a conga line, as they're crowing about their most prestigious offers in wealth-making opportunities. And he's just watching. He's an old man, 80 years old. He's been around, you know, and he's just sitting there. He's shaking his head. He's watching these young men and women dance around, thinking about they just won the lottery ticket, right? They'll be, they'll be extravagantly wealthy, not near like Solomon himself. And so Solomon's he's thinking to himself, if they just knew what I knew, you know, if I could just tell them if they listened, you know, he's just swirling his scotch. If they just knew this about wealth, this simple truth about wealth, that wealth is a, gr- is a good servant, but it is a terrible master. Wealth is a good servant, but it is a bad master. You, you want to be rich, you guys? Brand new graduates with promising careers, you want to be rich? You think these job offers are your lottery ticket? Don't cash them just yet, he would say. Because that's, that's the dirt feeding the dirt part of you, and there's so much more to you. It will, your soul cannot be satisfied by the dirt things. And he would tell you in this chapter, 11 verses, chapter 10 through 20, there's like a downward stepping, this downward descent in just truth. If anything, Solomon, I mean, I know he's the wisest man in the world at this time, but if, if nothing, he's, he's observant. <laughs> he's, he's watching his own life, and he's just watching other people around him. And he finds these five truths that I'll bet you know, but you think they don't apply to you. But they do. They apply to all men, all men that are trapped, trapped between heaven and earth, dirt with a spirit. How should you then live? These are the five things that are true. He's sitting at the, he's standing by this, piano and he's saying, let me tell you five things. If I could get an audience with a few of you guys, stop your dancing. Listen, the first thing is, the more you have, the more you'll want. The more you have, the more you'll want. Look what he says in verse 10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Could I point out to you very um, obviously maybe that he's not saying that money is bad or wealth is bad, what is he saying? The love of it. Just like in the New Testament, people must quote this passage all the time that money is the root of all evil. No, no, no. The love of money is the root of all evil. So this, this word love, I think it's a verb, the love of money is, and the love of wealth is what gets you into trouble. Because again, wealth is a good servant. It's just a terrible master. But listen, um, you know a good word to, to help make sense out of this would be hope. If you hope in wealth or you hope in money, then you're serving it. If you, if you hope that if you, get, if you get a better job, if you get a better income, then, then you could get a better house or maybe you could, get, you could be able to find a wife or a husband if you had more money. What kind of husband or wife requires you to have more money? That's not a good husband or wife choice, I will tell you. Do you need to live in a different zip code for you to be happy? Is your happiness, is your hope, is your happiness contingent on the dirt that you live in? Your soul cannot be satisfied by that. And 
And no matter how much you, if you're in that category, the more you have, the more you want. John D. Rockefeller, I think it's America's first billionaire, was asked this question. You know the answer when he said it. How much do you need? And he said, just a little bit more. A little bit more. Your happiness cannot be dependent on wealth or you're a servant to wealth. If you look at statistics, not just, you know, like church statistics that have surveys that have been done in marriage um, tranquility, but also just the regular secular stuff, the single biggest problem in marriages, the thing that causes the most stress in marriages, financial stress. And what they've done in the most recent surveys, they've asked, well, why is there so much financial stress? And the answer is, their words, not mine, materialism. The more materialistic a couple is, the more, the more uh, likely they are to get a divorce. In other words, the stress will lead to divorce. There's a 40% chance higher of divorce if the couple is into wealth. Now, here's what's, what was funny about it. It was in, absolutely independent of income. In other words, watch. Couple A is making $12,000 a year, but they're materialistic. They have a 40% higher chance of of getting a divorce because that, that money problem will force stress and the stress will crack their marriage. There's another couple, B, they make $1.2 million a year. Oh, okay, so they have a bunch of money now. If they're materialistic, they have a 40% higher chance of divorce. Why? Because the more you have, the more you want. If you're making 120 million, or if you're making 1.2 million, you're going to want to make 1.3 million, or you're probably going to be in debt for more than that. Because wealth, look what it says, wealth is a good servant, but a bad master. I'm going to question, I'm going to quiz you on that. We're going to all say that together in just a few minutes, okay? But you, you have to understand this is Solomon kind of coming out of his skin after a group of people that think they've won it all, and they, they don't understand their nature. The way God designed them is not to be satisfied with wealth. It's, it, it serves you well. It just doesn't rule well. It's kind of a bully. So he's building on this. He says, okay, look, point one, this is what you need to know. The more you have, the more you're going to want. But listen, not only that, the more you have, the more you're going to actually need to spend. It gets complicated. Verse 11, it says, as goods increases, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? What, what does that mean? Well, when you're making just a, when you're just barely getting by, but you're, you know, there's, it, life is simpler. <laughs> but as, as your business grows, as you grow in wealth, then all of a sudden you're going to need an accountant because your taxes are a little more complicated than they used to be. You didn't have a, an accountant before, no? You might even need a tax accountant, and you'll need a banker and a wealth manager. And there's the lawn guy, and then there's the pool guy. It's like, what? I used to be the lawn guy. Yeah, and now I'm hiring the lawn guy. And you'll need bankers and helpers. And these are all, by the way, these are all legitimate expressions of the more you have, the more you'll need to spend. Then there's the illegitimate ones. When people find out that you do have considerable wealth, then there's those family members, those long-lost family members, and friends, and the takers, and, and the entourage. And Solomon just says, it's... it's more wealth doesn't mean more happiness. More wealth means more opportunities for other people to spend your money. And that's why it says in the passage that you don't even get to see the money. You just get to see the money leave. You just get to watch it go away. And do you know why? You tell me. 
Because say it together, everybody, wealth is a good servant. It's a bad master. <laughs> now Solomon's over here, and he's got a crowd gathering. People have left the conga line. And he says, listen, the more you have, the more you're going to want. The more you're going to have, the more you're going to need to spend. And the more you have, the more you're going to worry. It's just going to worry more. Look at verse 12. He says, the sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats a little or eats much. But for the rich, the abundance permits them no sleep. Wealth is not a cure for insomnia. Wealth is a cause for insomnia. You have so much to worry about that you didn't have to before. I mean, I, mean, I think Solomon's thinking, God, remember, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm looking out over my deck and I'm watching my security guy come in and, and add security to the house, and I'm watching the welder weld the security fence all the way around, and man, he is putting up a sweat. He's got that bologna sandwich at lunch, a simple apple at the three o'clock break, goes home tired to kids that love him, takes a shower, his wife hugs him, they sit back on their back porch, eat popcorn, almost nothing for dinner, hits the pillow, he's out like a light. Life's simple for him. He sleeps soundly. While I lay in this house with the security lights blinking, wondering if all the fence welds were accurate, I wonder if they're going to hold. I have so much to lose, I can't sleep anymore because I am serving wealth. Henry Ford, at the top of his career, okay, he's running an empire, said, I wish I were just an auto mechanic. When I was growing up, uh, we didn't lock our doors in, at our house, and I mean, there was one simple reason is because we didn't have the keys. We didn't even have keys to our house. I mean, we'd leave for the beach sometimes for three weeks on end, and it would just leave the house open. And when friends, when I got in high school and people would just be in and out of my house, people would say, how come you guys never lock your house? And I'd like, Dad, how come we never lock the house? He said, what are they going to steal? We have nothing to steal. I mean, I'm picturing some, a couple crooks coming into our house looking around going, we got it better than this guy we got to rob a neighbor and bring it here. I mean, this, this poor guy needs us. Andrew Carnegie said, millionaires seldom smile because wealth can't, can't feed a soul, but wealth can feed loneliness and worry and anxiety and paranoia and discontent. It can feed that. Do you know why? Because wealth is, everybody, come on. Wealth is a good servant, but it's a bad master. The more you have, the more you want. The more you have, the more you're going to have to spend. The more you have, the more you're going to have to worry. The more you worry, the more you're going to have to hoard. You're going to need to hoard it. You've got to keep it close so it doesn't get away. Look at what it says in verse 13 and 14. There's kind of two different a, plan A, plan B. Plan A is this is a grievous evil underneath the sun. Wealth is hoarded, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that they who have children, there is nothing for them left in their inheritance. I mean, so this is a grievous e evil that wealth, wealth hoarded at the cost of the people around. You've seen hoarding shows probably. I can't remember why we were watching something on TV, but they were a hoarder. It was, it was, uh, it's, it's funny, and then it's scary, and then it's creepy, right? And this one particular woman, she hoarded toilet paper 
And whenever toilet paper went on sale, she bought as much as she possibly could. And, and she, <laughs> this is ironic, she filled like all these rooms in her house full of toilet paper, one of them being the bathroom. That's the ironic part. You couldn't go into the bathroom because there was too much toilet paper in there. You couldn't open the door. And she had a husband and three children, and they all just kind of lived their lives around the creepy mom because that's, you know, and here's the thing. I mean, here's the thing. A hundred people couldn't use all that toilet paper in a lifetime. So what, I don't know what she was hoarding it for, right? I mean, the, how bad could it possibly get? And we, look, we, we look at those people and we laugh at them. But when we're, when we're not hoarding toilet paper, we're hoarding coins. Oh, it's okay. Oh, we, we, we admire that person, right? Look at all the coins they have. You can't spend that in four lifetimes. Yeah, but I have rooms full of it. Yeah. And listen, Solomon's over here, and he's probably thinking, look, don't you look your, down your nose at me, okay? This happened to me. Solomon would say, when I'm stone stupid drunk, I'm smarter than any of you on your smartest day. And here's how it happens. You use wealth. You boss it around. You tell it where to go. And then, I don't know. I don't know the day it happened. But the next thing you know, you're crouched over and you're counting your coins and you're saying, my precious, my precious. You can't let it go. It owns you. Solomon's saying, if it could happen to me, it'll happen to you. But listen, there's, a, there's something else going on here. Okay? If you don't hoard it, the, the alternative, verse 14, is, or all the wealth is lost through some misfortune so that those who have children have nothing to inherit. So the misfortune can be... Uh, I guess a fraud or an extended illness. Boy, you can burn through millions on an extended illness, uh, a major financial breakdown. Here's what I have seen in my 30 years of observation as kind of as an adult. Number one cause of losing an entire hoarded possibility of an inheritance. Why do people leave Vegas empty-handed? Nothing in their pockets. When they're way ahead, one more spin. I've seen some extremely intelligent investors who had, were hoarding, and they thought, one more deal. It's a sure thing. All bets down, hands off the table, let it ride. Tink, 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 tink. House wins. House always wins. And I've known men who wrap their entire identity around this, Godly men, church-going men. And when they lost it on the last big bet, they took their lives. They left their wife and they left their children because they couldn't live without it. They were feeding their spirit with dirt, and it doesn't pay. This is true, okay, that wealth, read it, Wealth is a good servant. It is an evil master. Wealth will, it will, it will devour you. It will stand over you, spit on you, humiliate you, and then ravage you. If you don't own it, it will own you. <laughs> the more you have, the more you want. 
The more you want, the more you're going to need to spend. The more you have, the more you spend, the more you're going to worry. The more you worry, the more you're going to hoard. And look at number five, the bottom step on our descent. The more you hoard, the more you leave. Verse 15 and 16. Everyone, everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and everyone comes back so that as they depart, they take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands, right? This, too, is a grievous evil, that everyone comes so they depart. What is the gain in that since they toil for the wind? Naked you came, naked you go. This is, this is, this is Solomon quoting Shakespeare, Hamlet quoting Solomon. There's, there's, no, there's no dress code for death. You showed up naked, you returned naked. Alexander the Great and his horse, naked they came, naked they left. Caesar and Brutus, naked they came, naked they left. Genghis Khan and, 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 and uh, what's his, who was Apple? What's that guy's name? Steve Jobs? They have a lot in common. They actually do. Do you know how much they left behind? Everything. They left everything. They came naked. They left naked. And Solomon's saying, look, <laughs> we're all going to die. From dust we came, from dust we shall return. There's part of you that's earth. Leave it here. Feed your spirit because wealth is a good servant, but wealth is a bad master. So now, okay, so, <laughs> so you're thinking now. So Solomon's sitting here now. He's on his third scotch, and every, the, the band left. There's 10 guys and girls saying, well, you just kind of wrecked our whole night, King Solomon. Is there anything that you'd like to add that could give us hope? <laughs> or do you just go from, <laughs> from party to party ruining people's hopes and lives? He goes, yes, there are two truths. There are two absolute truths. They are from God. Four times you'll hear that God is doing this, and if you understand these two these two absolute truths, you'll live a contented life. But if you think your job is your lottery ticket, don't cash it. If you were going to buy a lottery ticket, Solomon would say, you buy this lottery ticket. You buy contentment because marriages that are content, lives that are content, those are from God. He says, God gives work as his gift to us. Work is a gift. It's toilsome, admittedly, but it's still a gift. Look at it that way. Look at verse 18. Okay. This is what I have observed that is good. This is a good thing. That it is appropriate for a person to eat and to drink and find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days that, that, of life that God has given them. This is their lot. This is their boundary. This is what God has delegated to you. This is what you should enjoy. You should enjoy that work is a gift from God. God gave work to Adam before the fall. Work and worship are all but the same word. They might actually be the same word. And you express yourself in your work. That's a good, it's a toilsome job, but you get to be human in that expression. If you choose a job that is just chasing wealth, it will, you'll find it very difficult to enjoy this. 
because you've already decided that you will serve wealth. Wealth won't serve you. If you decide that wealth will serve you, how do you get there? You say, I'm going to see as that my life is an expression of worship and the way God made me, the way I was raised, the experiences I have, the temperaments I've been gifted with. Even my nightmares and, and miseries can be used in toilsome labor, and this is good. That's how you see it. That's one truth. It's just a fact. This is your lot. This is the way he made you. This is the way he designed you. Stay within your lot. Be thankful for blood running through your streams. Be thankful for the door that you crest when you go into that workplace. You are welcome. And you'll find satisfaction in that. The second truth that he wants to, you to understand that he's giving wealth and possessions and joy. Okay, look at, look at the four things in these verses. Look at the four things that are gifts from God, right? Four things. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth, one, possessions, two, the ability to enjoy it, three, just the ability to enjoy it, that's from God. And accept their lot and be happy in their toil, that's one, to accept their lot and be happy with their life, this is a gift from God. And they seldom reflect on the, on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. You know how you keep yourself from moping around like Hamlet, to be or not to be, you know, from dust we came, poor Warwick, right? That whole thing is you enjoy your life knowing that four things are given to you by God. Wealth and possessions and, and the ability to enjoy work and life and the acceptance of your lot. This is who I am, and I'm okay with that. I'm a Cadillac, I'm not a, or I'm a, I'm a Chevy, I'm not a Cadillac. I'm okay with that. I'm going to be a great Chevy, though. That's accepting your place, your, your, your lot. <laughs> you don't need money or wealth to be happy. If you think you do, you're thinking dirt. That's, that's what Solomon is saying here, okay? So, okay, with all of that in mind, that's kind of the passage, right, that you, you can serve wealth or wealth can serve you. If you serve wealth, it'll lead you to despair and heartache because you're feeding the eternal with the temporal. So how do you know, test question, how do you know if you are serving wealth or wealth is serving you? How do you know if you're a servant or a master? Basic, basic psychology throughout the Bible from cover to cover. This is for you. How generous are you? That's the answer to the question. How generous are you? Because if you're a generous person, generally speaking, that means wealth is serving you. If, you. if you're not a generous person, then it means that you are serving wealth because you can't let go of it. Now, when I say, are you a generous person, I mean this, because things have changed in the last 10 years or so. When I say generous, I mean not talking about being a generous person and not doing it, not talking about someone else being a generous person with their money. That's very popular, too. That doesn't count as generous. Generous is taking the dirt that you have and spreading it out to give to other people to enjoy the dirt. That's what it means to be generous. And if you think your generosity is, is attached to your income level, you're still missing the point because wherever you go, there you are. It, the problem isn't your income level. The problem is whether you're serving wealth or wealth is serving you. So if you're making $20,000 a year, let's just keep the math easy. It's, and, and, and let's say 10% is that's, that's kind of generous. But So you make $20,000 a year and you can't give away $2,000. You think that if you made $200,000, you'd be able to give away 20. You won't. 
because wherever you go, there you are. And when you're making 200 grand, you'll still be that same person that's serving wealth. And <laughs> people who have a lot want more. And when you're making $200,000 a year, you're going to be wanting more and you'll be in more debt. And you'll still, you'll have another reason to say, oh, I would love to be generous. I should talk about generosity or I should talk about you being generous. But you are not a generous person. A generous person at $20,000 a year gives away two and says, I, I, could, I would like to give away more. And then when they get to a point of $200,000 a year, they give away 20 and they would like to give away more because they're just... <laughs> They're just pushing around dirt. John D. Rockefeller, I mentioned before, how much is enough? Just a little bit more. At 53 years old, he was consumed in hoarding his wealth. He was, he was, he was so uh, upset and tormented by it, all he could eat at night was milk and crackers, little saltines and milk. His stomach was so upset. And he was living this way. He was soon to die. He was malnourished. And some doctors came in and some counselors, and they said, here's what you need to do. Give it away because that's the cure for grief is generosity. And he started giving it away. And that's a lot of the buildings that you've seen named after Rockefellers is because he was trying to survive. He had to unchain himself from the servitude of wealth. And he did that by becoming generous. His soul had to change. I am not going to live for dirt anymore. Dirt's going to live for me. And, and he lived to 98 years old because... He changed his spirit, not his body. How do you get content? How'd, how'd you score on that? I hope you did well. But how do you get content? Classic C.S. Lewis. When first things are first. When second things are first, you lose the second things, and you lose the first things, you get no things. But when first things are first, you get the first things, and you get the second things. What's the first things? It's a theme in this book that it's all a gift from God. It's, it's when, you, when you stop focusing on the temporal things and you focus on the eternal things, the eternal things in your soul, in your nature, but also especially the eternal things of God, the beauty and the majesty of Jesus Christ, his kingliness, his right to rule, and your devotion to that, your fixation with that, your compulsion towards Christ and his glory and, his, and the, the Trinity itself, the eternal things in life, if that comes first, then the joy comes later because now happiness is not attached to stuff and dirt. It's attached to knowing the king. God designed you. This is your lot. God designed you to love him with all your heart, soul, strength, and might. He designed you to love your neighbor. And when you do that, you are right. And so you'd go to all, all extremes as though... You know, like if you know, you say, I'm going to use all the things when I was serving wealth. I'm going to use those same attributes and I'm going to serve God. I will learn about Him. That's why we study the Bible here at Grace. We want to, it's not, it's not a history lesson, it is a biography. And we want to know this Maker. We want to feel Him, His feelings. We want to think His thoughts. We want to do His will. We, we spend time um, meditating in a melodious way the songs that we sing, they're full of, of meaning so that you can have a rhythm through the week about the love affair that you have going with the creator of the universe. You find yourself, again, we structure our church this way, though that you might be gravitated towards other people that are trying to not be enslaved by wealth, but be enslaved by the love of God and prayer. Pray without ceasing. The line's always open. 
always talking to God, always bending your will, always looking for opportunities to take responsibility and to apologize and to serve. That's how. It's, it's not easy, but it's kind of simple, isn't it? You could enjoy the simple things of life, the simple lot that you're given, the way you're made, the way you're created. The, the toilsome labor that we've been given in this world can still leave us very happy, blessed people when we're right with God. There's kind of a famous story. You've probably seen it somewhere of a parable of uh, some wealth servant, right, goes down to um, the Caribbean, let's say, and he's at the beach and he's sipping his, his drinks and wearing his fancy clothes and watches. And he sees a, a fisherman coming in and he's coming in early and he's putting away his nets and he says, hey, hey, you, there's, a lot, there's a lot more time to be fishing. Why don't you go back out and fish some more? And the fisherman says, well, I have enough for today. He goes, yeah, but if you went out, you could catch a lot more. And the fisherman said, but then what would I do with the extra? Probably an American. He says, you could sell it and make a lot of money. And with the money, you could buy nylon nets, which are a lot better, which means you could go farther out and get more fish. And with the more fish, you could get a, a better boat. And with a better boat with nylon nets, you could keep getting more and more fish and then you could make so much money, you could have maybe two boats. With two boats, you could get four. And then you could hire people to run the four boats. And the fisherman said, well, what, what would I do? You could sit on the beach and enjoy the day. The fisherman looked up, looked across the horizon and said, I'm doing that right now. I'm very content with my lot. That's what it looks like. It's not easy, but it's simple. When all is said and done, love God and keep his commandments. This is the whole counsel of God. And that's it in a nutshell. Here's what I want us to pray now. About time for me to go. Let's pray that we'd ask God's spirit this question. Have you been serving wealth or has wealth been serving you? Okay. And we're going to ask this God's Spirit just really get painfully truthful with us, okay? And then, we'll, and then we'll pray and we'll ask, okay, what do I need to change to make that right? Do I need to talk to someone, maybe meet with some financial people, maybe talk to a counselor, okay? So that's the prayer I'm setting you up for. Let's pray that, okay? And, and then we'll sing a song. Lord Jesus, I'd ask that you would help us heed the warnings of Solomon. Such a broken man. What a tragedy. So much wisdom so much wealth, so much power, like nothing we have ever seen in this world. And yet, it was squandered. In his arrogance, he thought he could master uh, the flesh and the desires of the, of the dirt. And yet, here we are, very much like him. Lord, I'd ask that you'd hold a mirror up to our souls and um, tell us the truth. Do we hope in more? as a solution to happiness? Do we want wealth more than we want you? If we had to choose like Israel did, that we could be blessed beyond imagination, but you would not go with us, <laughs> would we choose that? Or have we already chosen that? Let your spirit strike us with a conviction, Lord, that we, we could get off this if we choose to repent and make ourselves right with you. Lord, let us hunger for eternal things, for your face, for your love, 
and let us be uh, a lighthouse for other people to see what contentment looks like under the sun. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.